I ask that you would nourish them. I ask that you would grow them to be people who love you and honor you and serve you. I ask that you would um, call them now and set them apart for holy purposes. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back. Okay, Craig, the sermon slides are running, so please go ahead and follow along with me as I call out for the next one and the next one and the next one. Bear with me, guys. There we go. Okay, first slide. How old was David when Samuel anointed him? Anybody know? How old was David when Samuel anointed him? I just told you. You heard me say to the kids. Sometime, some age between 10 and 15. The Bible does not clearly tell us what age he was. But some of the clues, if we spoke Hebrew or Greek, we could look at some of the words that have been translated into English. And the word that was used when they said he's just a boy was for like an adolescent or pre-adolescent age person. Okay? So David was uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We're not quite sure. However, we can begin to guess how. How many kids did Jesse and his wife have? Ten. So, uh, Craig, bring up the next slide. Now, I don't know if you guys can read this because I had to cram it down. Son number one was Eliab. Son number two was Abinadab. Son number three was Shaman or Shimeah. Now, what this is, if you look at the bottom of this slide, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 10 through 11, or 1 Chronicles 2, verses 13 through 16, list the sons of Jesse. But the lists aren't exactly the same. So what I did was, son number three, Shaman is the name found in Samuel. Shimeah is the name found in Chronicles. Son number four is Nathaniel. In Chronicles, he's not named in Samuel. Son number five is Radai in Chronicles, not named in Samuel. Son number six, Ozem in Chronicles, not named in Samuel. And this is the interesting thing. Son number seven in Chronicles is David. Son number seven in uh, Samuel is an unnamed son. And then David in Samuel is the eighth son. So we don't know. We can't go back and find out. It's impossible. So either Jesse and his wife had nine kids or they had ten kids. Depends on which person that you're reading. Bottom line is, Jesse, I mean, the, bottom, the youngest child of the boys was David. He was either number seven or number eight. Now, we can look at this list and understand a little bit more about how Dave, what age David was. See where it says in the middle of the screen, 20 years of age. Why is that significant? I'll show you. Bring up the next slide, Craig. It should be Numbers chapter 1, 
verses 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting on the first day of the second month in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel. Do it by clans, then by the father's houses, according to the number of names, every male, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war. You and Aaron shall list them company by company. So what God was instructing Moses and Aaron to do was to get a head count of how many able-bodied men they had available for war. And the bottom age was 20. So you couldn't go to war unless you were 20. Now bring up the next slide, which is actually repeated, the one we just looked at. That 20 years of age, if you go to Samuel chapter, I mean, 1 Samuel chapter 17, which we're going to look at next week, you're going to see that the eldest three boys of Jesse's family went to war. That means of all the boys, whether there was seven or eight, only three were 20 years of age or older. Okay? Now, if there were, let's say, there were four sons between Shimea or Shaman and David, so four, that would mean even if they were, if they were born every single possible chance that there could be a child born, okay? Shaman or Shimea is 20 years old. That means Nathaniel would be 19. Radai would be 18. Ozem would be 17. And David would either be 16 or 15, depending on where he falls, if there's seven boys or eight boys. So the oldest David could possibly be at the time of his anointing was 16. The likelihood is he was actually younger. He was probably closer to 11 or 12. 12 years of age was where, they, where a boy enters into his own, if you will, in the community. So it's likely he was 12 or 13. However, he's already got some years under him as a shepherd. So now it's probable that he's probably maybe 13 or 14. We, we just can't figure it out any closer than that. But sometime between probably 10 to 15, but more likely 12, 13, 14, somewhere in that area. Now, that's David and his age. Let's go to the next slide. Um, oh, I already, I, sorry, go to the next slide. I forgot about that. David's skills. Let's look at his skill set. What did he bring to the table as, as a potential king? Well, if we look just in, uh, if we look at, at what we have available to us in the Bible, David was a shepherd which led to being a warrior. I mean, he's never been a warrior, per se, because he couldn't go to war because he wasn't 20. However, he's already got skills. Okay? If you go, um, if you look at, at, at uh, what's the next slide, Craig? Nope, go back, go back to the red one. There we go. Um, as we already looked at, First Samuel 16, 11, Jesse, Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? There remains one that's in the, in the, shepherd, in the sheepfold. He's keeping the sheep. And then they said, send for him, blah, blah, blah. We're not going to sit down to eat until he comes. David was a trained shepherd, okay? He was allowed to be alone with the sheep. He didn't have somebody overseeing him. He was fully trained 
as a shepherd. What does that mean? Well, if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 34 and 35, David says to King Saul, I used to keep sheep for my dad. And whenever a lion came or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I just went to him and struck him and got the animal, the baby. And if he rose up against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them. He's defiled the armies of the living God. Take note of the confidence. When David tells King Saul that he can kill Goliath, the verse immediately after the verses I just read you, this is what David said. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Now, recognize, if we're, we're not looking at this story, that's next week. But recognize, Goliath's challenge to the nation of Israel was, you send one of your people out to me, we'll fight. And whoever loses, the other ones become the servants and slaves of the other. So for Saul to say, yeah, you go fight. There had to be something. And we'll talk about that more next week. But think about it. This young kid, age 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever the age was, has reached the point in his skill set as a shepherd where he is perfectly capable of caring for the entire flock without supervision. He has already killed bears and lions with his bare hands or with a stone and a sling. Oh, a stone and a sling. Think about this. David... Out in the fields watching sheep eat grass. (sighs) Picks up a stone, gets a a leather strap, missed. Picks up another stone. Ah, closer, but not there yet. How many hours and hours and hours did he just... He was an expert slinger. He could hit a fly off a rock and not cause a spark on the rock because he was that good. So it wasn't a matter of bravado when he comes to King, I mean, to, to King Saul to say, I can take on this Philistine. He, it was memory. It was muscle memory for him to, to sling rocks with a sling. He was an expert. He would have gotten a gold medal at the Olympics had there been a rock-slinging contest. However, again and again and again and again, we have to remember, David never put his trust in the sling. His trust clearly is in the God who will give him victory. Now, the other skill set. Bring up the next slide. Musician and poet. I'm going to read to us some scriptures, but before we get there, I want you to think about this. We know David as a poet. Did you understand or know that David wrote the Psalms? There are 150 Psalms in the Bible. How many of them did David write? You know? 75. Now, David was a musician. 
Psalms are songs. They're poems set to music. David, in his hours of tedium out in the field, not only did he sling rocks, but he also taught himself to play what's called a kinnor. Bring up the next slide, please. Okay, where am I at in the slide? Something's wrong. Next slide. Next slide. I don't know what happened. Next slide. Next slide. Where's the one with the yellow that, that has the guy holding the, 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 the harp? No, I don't want the video. No, no. No, turn that off, please. I want, there's a yellow slide with a couple, with a man and a woman holding a harp. Okay, never mind. Um, a kinnor is a handheld harp. Okay, you'll see a video of it in just a second. In the Bible, the Hebrew word is kinnor. In English, it's been translated lyre, sometimes harp. It is a musical instrument, a stringed musical instrument. It has these arms that come up from a sound box. There's a cross piece. The strings are usually made out of gut, and they are uh, stretched. It's not by the thickness of the string, but by the tightness of the string that determines the, uh, the tone. And there's also a bridge down on the sound box. You can pluck the kinnor the, the, the like, uh, like a harp. You can also use what's called a, a plinkard, I think is what it's called. And that's like a, like a pick, like a, like a guitar pick. You'll see in the video the guy uses like a stick. It's, it's all the same. And this is, oh, I forgot. This word kinnor comes from the Hebrew root word that means Twang. <laughs> Craig, just forget about the slides. Don't worry about it. Just don't, just don't show the video yet because I want that, that in a minute. Okay. Um, the kinnor, the harp, the lyre, is in the Bible. It is one of the, there it is, is one of the oldest instruments mentioned in the Bible. It is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 21. Jubal, who was the grandson of Adam, a son of Cain, was known as the father of all those who played the Kenor. So Jubal, Genesis chapter 4, is, is mentioned as being one who plays the lyre or the, or the, the Kenor. Um, now, the Kenor had anywhere from 3 to 12 strings in history. So scholars are struggling. Why? Does it make any difference? Well, this... Oh, and it's a plectrum. That's what it's called, a plectrum, the little plucking thing. Um, if you... One of the things that, that, lo, that, that, that archaeologists have discovered when they have do, done digs is they have found... Coins that were minted from the era that have a kinnor on them and they showed strings and they showed the shape, but it wasn't ten strings as it says in the Bible. And so they were trying to figure it out. And like I said, 
A kenor is a type of harp or a type of lyre, and they're all through Mesopotamia. They're, but but kenor is specifically a Jewish instrument, a, a Hebrew instrument. And if you go to Psalm 33, verse 2, it says, and this is one that is attributed to David, but they're not 100% sure that David wrote this one. He says, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. And then Psalm 144, which we know David wrote, he writes, I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-stringed harp, I will play to you. Now, we know that David wrote Psalm, I mean, uh, wrote 75 of the 150 Psalms. And it is very likely, and if you read some of the inscriptions on some of the Psalms, it said, he wrote this song when he was in the cave hiding from Saul. What was he doing? He had his kinor with him and he was playing to soothe himself or even his friends who were there with him. And he was writing songs of praise to God. Craig, before, don't bring it up just yet. Think about this. I want you to listen to this music. Because the thing you need to know about this, um, this music is, is uh, played by a guy named Michael Levy. Levy is a Jewish name. Levite. The priests. Michael Levy, the artist you're about to hear, owns his heritage of being part of the nation of Israel and being in that line of, Israel, of, of Hebrew priests. And he talks about the fact that when King David, or when young David, because in, in, in this chapter that we're looking at right now, highlighting chapter 16, in the tail end of the chapter, young David is called to the court of King Saul because King Saul has some kind of an issue, whether the Bible calls it a demon, but it could be just a mental illness thing depression or some form of mental illness or it could be indeed a demonic oppression but something's going on and one of the servants comes and says i know of a man who's skilled in the playing of the kinor let me get him brought in and he can maybe play when you're having these dark times so they did that and and it says that saul fell in love with david literally it says he loved david and he sent back to jesse and said I'm keeping your son. And he made him a member of the court. It says also he made David his armor bearer. So that meant he was with him everywhere. He was there in battle. He was, but his main reason for being there was because what he could do by playing this musical instrument. Play Michael Levy playing a canard.
Turn that off now. The thing that was so cool in listening to this, because he has a bunch of videos on YouTube, <clears throat> I found myself just becoming restful as I listened to this. What you don't know, because I didn't tell you yet, the song he's playing is based on ancient traditional Jewish music. Um, I was listening to one other person who talks about these and their their story, and they're messianic and they're they they were more into the prophetic stuff and that and that wasn't what I was trying to show this morning, so I didn't bring their video in. But they said that you can actually see in the scriptures in the in the uh, the Hebrew there were there is certain marks that are made in the words that have nothing to do with the consonant sounds or the vowel sounds. And what they are, they are the cantor marks. They are the marks that show the cantor higher or lower pitch as they're singing the song. And so they've used those cantor marks to create or recreate what they think these psalm songs might have sounded like. So that's what Michael Levy was playing was uh, a tune that's kind of an ancient, based on an ancient thing. There's no proof that it was indeed that's what it was. But you can imagine King Saul is having a really bad day. And David is called into the court. And he just sits down and begins to do that. And everyone else is just quiet. And the peace of God comes in. Because David is an anointed man. He has the spirit of God on him. Remember, which I didn't bring it out when I was telling the kids, but if you go back and read about the anointing of David, it said the Holy Spirit of God came and fell on David and filled him from that day forward. So David is an anointed young man who carries the presence of God with him. And God is using, he's positioning him. (laughs) He gave him a skill set of being a warrior long before he could ever get onto the battlefield. He gave him skill that would allow him to have access to the highest levels of government. 
And he just brought the presence of God with him. Now, that's the last thing I want us to look at, is the fact that David is a godly person. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Samuel and Saul have a confrontation. And we've already looked at this a few weeks ago. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God for which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel. But now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept the word that the Lord commanded. So see, God had already told Samuel, I mean told Saul, you're out. Your heart has been weighed and found wanting. I have located another person who's going to be taking over for you. Then if you go to 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, it says, David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. The biblical text indicates the strength of David's leadership, but it indicates that his leadership is because of his obedience to God. Not any of his physical skill. Not any of his attributes. David was a man after God's own heart. And this, all of this, brought me to this question. If David was God's perfect choice for king, if David was the one who was to be the father of the Messiah, if you will, through the lineage of David. Why didn't God choose David to begin with instead of choosing Saul, who God knew would be a failure? Because if you look at the the anointing of Saul, go back and look at that, God is the one that identified to Samuel who he had chosen to be anointed king. And it's the same now. God has said to Samuel, I have chosen someone different, a man after my own heart, and you go and anoint him. So God chose Saul, God chose Samuel. Why did God, and I will tell you what God did to me. I went to bed with that question last night. And I was like, Lord, I'm just exhausted. I can't think any straight anymore. I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do some research. And God pointed me to a timeline on the, way, on the internet. It was, actually a, 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 it was actually a peer-reviewed article that had been published in a journal. And I was like, oh! And it pointed me to um, bring up... It's 13, it's, it'll be Acts 13, 21. Yeah, that's it. Take pictures of that one. Um, <laughs> Acts 13, 21. This is what it said. Then they asked God, no, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. For 40 years he served as king. And when, he had, when God had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So that's Saul was anointed and served as king for 40 years. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4 and 5 says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 40 years. 
At Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And then at Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. And we'll read more about that later. But hear what it said. David was 30 years old when he became king. That was when Saul died. Saul reigned for 40 years. How old was David when he was anointed? 15, 14, 12. But David was 30 years old when Saul hit 40 years service as king. David wasn't born when God chose Saul to be king. Why did God not wait until David was ready for 40 years? Because the stupid Israelites, they demanded a king. And Samuel, if you remember, Samuel and God had a, a discussion about this. And God said, don't worry about it, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And I'll go ahead and let them have a king. I'm going to show you how stupid they're being. I'll let them walk in their stupidity for a while. And eventually I'll bring up the guy that I've already chosen. See, there's this idea or this thing that we talk about, and it's hard to, hard to walk it at times. There's God's perfect will, and there's God's permissive will. And sometimes permissive is just because God is tired of you whining, fussing, and complaining. He's like, you know, it's not going to hurt anything. Go for it. It's not what I had planned, but just go. Just go. Eventually, God's going to get what he wants done anyway, no matter what. But sometimes we are just stupid. Sometimes we need to be slapped upside the head until wake up and smell the coffee. You are pushing something that is not the perfect will of God. And why wouldn't you want the perfect will of God? Now, I also know of, of people, I've had them in my own ministry, who were stymied and frozen in their fear of not walking in the perfect will of God. Therefore, they would not make any decisions at all. And so there's both sides of it. Trying to find the perfect will of God. It's either I'm not doing anything because I'm afraid I'm not going to get the perfect will of God. Or I want my own, I want my own, I want my own. And we've got to find a balance. And the balance is, bring up the, the devotional slide. This has been in front of you all morning. You want to be a person after God's own heart? Be a radical beholder of your Lord. It's not how good you are, how holy you are, how many times you read the Bible in a day, how many times you pray. It's where is your focus? If you keep your eyes on Christ, keep your eyes on God, keep your thoughts, be, be ever aware. And it, it, Paul tells us in, in, the, in his epistles, he said, pray without ceasing. Well, what is prayer without ceasing? Talking to God daily, throughout your day. Being aware of God in your life, throughout your day. You want to be a person after God's own heart. That's how you do it. You keep yourself focused on God. You continually say, God, let your perfect will be done. You continually say, God, not my will, but thine. You continually say, God, I surrender all to you. Now, it's not easy. 
There are times when life is hard and you don't like the path you're walking right now. But guess what? (laughs) For whatever reason, God has allowed it. Because God sees the end from the beginning and knows the path is leading you to where God needs you to be. And it may be that what you're going through is for somebody else's benefit. Isn't that horrible? Look at Corey Tenboom, the woman who lost absolutely everything, but was, as a result, millions got saved because of her testimony. I wouldn't wish that on any human being to be put in a concentration camp and to suffer like she did for the years that she did. But look what God did through it. And see, that's the thing, is if we can just hold on and let God do whatever God's doing and trust him and keep our eyes focused on him and him alone, the perfect will of God will be the result. And the permissive will of God will be as we get ourselves in the way. (laughs) And every time you get recognized, you're getting in the way, just say, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to go back and look at Christ. I'm just going to stop and look at Christ. Yeah. Let me read to you the last three paragraphs or sentences that I wrote. So what's the so what for us this morning? Number one, the so what is God's timing is perfect. If we wait for God and don't try to manipulate the situation to suit our will, we will end up with the perfect result. Number two, God prepares and equips those whom God calls. David spent hours bored out of his mind. But God was training him for the future. And as a result, look what David did. And then finally, those whom God has prepared, equipped, and called should never put their trust in their own abilities. They should always continue to keep their focus on God. Because the moment you try to step out in your own strength, you sink like Peter on the water. And I love the way that says that in the gospel. It says, he took his eyes off Christ and started looking at the waves and the storm and he began to sink. It's like, (laughs) so let's pray. Father God, there's a lesson in here for us somewhere, some way. Some of us are hearing one thing, others are hearing another thing, and I trust that your Holy Spirit is guiding all of us. Help us to know, Father, what your perfect will is, and help us to walk it, and help us to wait for it. And help us to trust you that it will eventually come about, even though it doesn't look like it's happening now. And help us, God, to honor you with our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.